Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Danny, if we haven't met before. And as Pastor Bill said, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And as I was thinking, about, before I uh, jump in, um, as I was thinking about this week and about Cornerstone, a thought that came to my mind is that it's a really exciting time to be a part of this congregation. So what I mean by that isn't necessarily because, uh, I don't know, we're finally meeting in person again, um, or you know, that, vac- that we have vaccines and all that kind of stuff, but rather um, a thought that really stood out to me, whether you're an old-timer and you've had many seasons at Cornerstone, or if you're a new person, it's your first time experiencing us, a thought that, had, that came to my mind and my spirit is that it's a really exciting time to be a part of this congregation because I feel like we're saturated in prayer right now. And that's a very good place to be as a body of believers. I kind of pictured Cornerstone as like a sponge that was over, that was saturated fully where water just kind of drips off of it. And I kind of thought about all the commitment to prayer that we've made in this season that we're going to continue to do for the coming months and just feeling like it just kind of oozing out of us and whichever spiritual blessing that it will be, whether it be for us, but we hope not just us, but for the world. As Pastor Bill talked about, we're going to be praying for everybody else outside of us on Thursday. And so I, I do want to give a, a, just another plug and a special invitation for you to join us. Whenever you have a free Thursday night at Abide, just to be with us and pray. And the other exciting thing is that in this sermon series, we're just talking about prayer. And so we did it the past couple of weeks. I'm going to be doing that right now. And we have a couple, uh, a couple more weeks, too, where we just talk about prayer. So it's really exciting. And so for those of you who are old or new, thanks for being a part of what we're doing right now. And uh, I hope that, uh, that the world is blessed and that we, too, grow as a faith community because of this commitment to prayer that we have. So in that, on that note, uh, let me pray for us one more time again. So let's lift up our hearts together to the Lord. Father, as we sang, we will seek you uh, this morning. And I pray that that would be really the dominant prayer inside each and every one of our hearts right now, our dominant purpose, um, our reason for being here and for paying attention or focusing or participating or whatever, that it would be to seek you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you rid us of any distractions, any burdens, and grant us freedom, grant us joy, Grant us clarity of spirit and mind on your word because it is a treasure to us. And this morning, I pray for each friend, each brother and sister in this room right now and at home who's listening. I pray that the psalmist's experience in Psalm 19, that it would be ours, that your word would be honey, sweet to our lips, soothing to our bodies, our stomachs, our souls. And so we thank you for the goodness of the treasure of the word of God so that we may know you and know you more. Please help me to bring more light to it and not get in the way of it. And I pray that all of us would be feasting on this sweet and good word to us together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in seminary, I was blessed enough to be able to take one of the final uh, preaching classes ever taught by a professor named Haddon Robinson. So most of you, probably nobody here, then maybe Pastor Hojin uh, knows who that is, but he was the guy who, like, he was the name. He was the one who literally wrote the book that seminaries all across the country, but even internationally translated into their languages around the world. So, so many preachers and 
generations and generations of seminarians and future missionaries and pastors and church leaders were trained by this guy named Haddon Robinson on how to preach. And I was lucky enough to take one of his last classes when he, he was super old, just like right there at retirement. And I got that privilege. And there was one thing in one of Haddon, Dr. Robinson's classes that he taught that I will never, ever forget that's still stuck in my mind. Dr. Robinson said this. He said, ask a novice preacher to preach, and the novice preacher will ask, what will I preach about? What am I going to say? What should I talk about? What passion should I choose on that Sunday or that retreat or that whatever? Ask an experienced preacher to preach, and the experienced preacher will ask, who's my audience? Who's going to be listening that moment? Who's going to be sitting before me? And so with this in mind, you know, Dr. Robbins' words just continue to ring in my mind even many years later after school and after that class. And so every time I'm tasked with this really important task to come before any group of people, whether one person or a Kendall Square cinema, I think of all of you. Who are going to be, who's going to be my audience this coming Sunday? Who's going to be the people listening to what I have to say, or the word that I'm given by the Lord, and what makes them who they are? And so this morning, I'm coining a new term that I believe describes all of us, and me included, not just you. My audience, all of you, is what I'm calling movers. And no, I don't mean like, you know, on September 1st, I call you and you pack my boxes and move my stuff. So I'm going to give this word new meaning, movers. I'm going to keep using it today over and over, and I just get the whole, like, you know, college hunks, like, loading a tr like, truck thing out of your mind. Uh, I'm going to give this new meaning, and so if any of these following situations apply to you, you're who, who I'm calling a mover. So you're in some sort of schooling to prepare you for your future job, your future vocation. You're in maybe a first, second, or early job. Maybe It's definitely not your last one. Still figuring out what your long-term career, career will look like, you're a mover. Or you've maybe found the field that is going to be your home until retirement, but you're, 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 you're still early there. You're growing, you're developing, you're, you're uh, fighting to get promotions, and you're looking at what it would look like for you to, to walk down that path in your, free, in your career. That's, you're a mover. You're a mover if you're pursuing marriage in some sort of fashion, whether you're single or dating or you're engaged and you're planning a, a wedding right now. You're a mover to me if you're married without children and you're family planning on the horizon. Or you're married with children and you're raising them, but because you're raising these children, a lot of questions are coming up that are more important for you and for your spouse, like how close you should live to family, the aunts and uncles, the grandparents, what school district to live in, how to rearrange your finances, whether it be for childcare or future college, what to do about your work, how do you make changes to give your kids the best opportunities in life, you're a mover. So when I say that Cornerstone, my audience, are movers, what I mean, essentially, is that Cornerstone is not made up of a church of empty nesters. We're not the white picket fence, we bought our forever home and kind of settled down. That, that term, settled down, is not ever said of us. That's not our group. In fact, we're the opposite of that. We're the people in process. That's what I mean by you're a mover. And some of you are literally movers. You just got here. Uh, we've been talking to you, the, the welcoming team have been talking to you, and you're like, oh, yeah, I've only been here for six weeks. I've only been here for three weeks. I've only been here for two months. I just started a new job. You're literally movers in that regard. Or on the other side of it, you know when your expiration date is in Boston or in Cambridge or Brookline or wherever you live right now or your school program. One day that you actually know the date, it's going to end, 
and then you're going to move on. You're in process. We're people in transition on the go. So this morning, as we continue our sermon series on prayers, and by that, if you didn't get it yet, it's like a cool pun, prayer like the person and prayer the thing. We're going to talk about a group of people who I also consider movers in this definition of it. And their leader is certainly a mover. And we're going to look at these people and who they are, are the Israelites. And the leader, the prayer that we're talking about today is Moses. So what I want to do is study Moses' heart reflected in his prayer life. And we'll see how that can inform and sharpen us as we are people on the go, in process, working through this journey of life. But before we read uh, Moses' story and the story of the Israelites, the passage that we're going to read this morning, I just want to put a timeout, like, like asterisk, star, because I had a moment for myself as I was preparing my own message that I wonder if you have too. I wonder if at any moment in this sermon series, and maybe even today, I hope I don't do this to you, but I might because I did it to myself, is that as we talk about these great people who had such wonderful prayer lives, we've talked about Nehemiah, We've talked about Hannah. Today we'll talk about Moses. Next week we're going to talk about another person. I hope that your, the road that you start navigating down is not guilt. Because if you're like me, whenever anybody talks about prayer, you're like, ugh, i got a lot of work to do. My prayer life stinks. My prayer life is not what it's supposed to be, to be a good and righteous Christian. And I don't, what Nehemiah did, I'm nowhere near that. That's the road I don't want us to take, to use these prayers, Nehemiah, Hannah, Moses, and so on, as a measuring stick to beat yourself up about, like, you are not tall enough to ride this ride. Rather, I want us to look at them as inspirations to us, as mentors, as disciplers, as heroes that we can look up to and seek to emulate, to learn from, to admire. So time out over. Let's put that hat on or put those glasses on. And let's look at uh, Moses' story. So before we read, a little bit of context. So this morning, we're going to read chapter 33 of Exodus. But let's catch up. What's happened in the lives of Israelites and Moses up until then? So Exodus begins, and Moses is the baby floating away in the basket. Prince of Egypt, Red Sea, believe in miracles. Whoa! And they are free, and they're wandering the wilderness. He had his battle back and forth with Pharaoh. And so they're in the wilderness, in the desert. Moses is leading the Israelites, and they stop at Mount Sinai at the base of it, and they set up camp. They settle down, and Moses is like, you guys set up camp here. I'm going up the mountain to speak to God. And that's where he gets the Ten Commandments, the two tablets. That's where he receives the law of God. And while the Israelites are down below at the base of the mountain, they're getting restless because Moses is taking way longer than they expected. So scripture teaches us that the Israelites thought he was dead. They're like, this dude died up there. Like, what are we doing down here? And so a terrible chapter in the Bible, Exodus 32 The disaster of the golden calf happens. The people are restless. They're like, Moses is dead. Aaron, make a god for us that we can worship. And so, ta-da, they make the golden calf. It's an absolute disaster. They upset God. His heart burns with anger. Moses comes down angry. And then this is where we enter the story. When God is like fed up with them, he's like, all right, everybody get out of here. Get on the move. Move on. Exodus 33. So the Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I'll send an angel before you, and I'll drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall, I know, how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what can we emulate and learn from our mentor, our discipler, Moses, here? It's, it's this, this one singular point, that godly movers, quote-unquote movers, we pray for God to be with us above all else. If you are a mover, if you are a person in process, whether your job, your family, your dating life, your, your bank account, whatever, if you're working at something really, really hard, and you have some sort of goal in mind, I think that's all of you, our prayer should be, God, be with me in that pursuit. God, be with me in my journey. God, be with me before I take a singular step. That's what godly movers do, this amazing story from Moses that, in fact, actually doesn't really get talked about. We talk about Moses parting the Red Sea a lot, but this is one of my favorite moments of Moses' life as we look up to him, that godly movers pray for God to be with them. So we read in this text a conversation between God and Moses, and the Israelites have just uh, committed a terrible sin. They've made a golden calf and they worshipped it. And so God is upset, and he drops like an atomic bomb on them. What he decides is so significant. He says this in verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but, this is devastating words right here, I will not go up among you. So God says he's not going to go with them anymore. And this is a super devastating outcome, as I just mentioned. But personally, for me, as like a, you know, and as an American reading the Bible from many, many years later, with just all the different lenses in my life I have, I kind of think it's not really the outcome I would have assumed. I thought he would have punished them in a different way, like, because you created the golden calf, I will doom you to wandering to the desert forever, or you're, you're going to die there, or I'm going to smite you from the face of the earth. You know, we have all this imagery of the angry, mean Old Testament God that everybody talks about. I thought he would have said, you will never enter the land of flowing with milk and honey. But his reaction is, it, I don't, it catches me off guard. Let, let's reread this. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the patriarchs, to your offspring I will give. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out all these groups of people. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you for your stiff-necked people. So where I'm a little thrown off is God seems to send them on their way after they committed something really, really bad, 
but their final destination seems unchanged. They're still go- he's still saying, go to Canaan, to the promised land. I'm thrown off because he still offers assistance. God says, I'm going to send an angel before you to prepare the way, to move all your enemies out of the way so you'll have a smooth path there. He's not even leaving them on their own. And so I'm a little confused and I'm challenged by Moses' reaction because if I'm brutally honest with myself as a broken, fleshy person, this situation doesn't seem that bad to me. Think about it. Let's say God said to you, you know what? You win. You're, you, you want nothing more in your life right now but to get a six-figure salary or to get into med school or to get that fellowship offer or to have the, the hottest husband or wife or to have five kids and a big house. Whatever your dream is, your dream job to get promoted, fine. It's yours. And you know what? I'll even send an angel before you to let that happen. It's going to happen. Just, just do it. But I'm just not going to go with you anymore. I, I think because of the way idols work inside of our hearts, I think, I mean, I would be lying. Maybe, I don't know about you. I would be lying if I didn't say I would be tempted by that. That I wouldn't be tempted by God saying, you know what? You're going to the promised land. I'm going to send an angelic being to pave the way for you, but I'm not going anymore. I would have to struggle with whether I would be okay with that. And so we look up to Moses. We look into his heart because he wants nothing to do with this plan. This is not at all appealing to Moses. Even the promise of entering the promised land with an angel going before them is not for a second tempting to him. He doesn't want anything to do with this journey if God is not with them. Right? This verse does not get a lot of fame in the life of Moses in, in, the, in, in churches, in the Bible stories, and children's Bible stories in the, in the country or the world. I love verse 15. Look at our mentor, Moses, here. He said to them, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's like, heck no. He doesn't even obey God. God gives him a command. He says, time out. And he prays. He says, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not taking a single step forward if you do not come with us. I don't want anything to do with this plan. You must be with us. His first reaction is to pray, and the content of his prayer is a simple one. God, you have to be with us. So what I see in myself, and I wonder if you see in yourself too, is that one of the downfalls of movers, driven, educated, accomplished, goal-oriented, future-oriented people is that we lack a healthy fear of what life would be like without God. We are very self-sufficient. We love making our plans and believing with all of our heart, mind, and soul that all we need to do is study a little bit extra, work an additional hour when the boss is around, do a little bit of tweaking to our external presentation to our potential suitors, save a little bit more in the retirement fund because that's what our financial advisor says is best. We love doing that stuff without sometimes realizing that we need God way more. When I think about my prayer life as a mover, it's me too. I sometimes think I'm more careful 
like trivial things in life than I am with the big decisions in life. So I was thinking about it this week. I'm a very type A person. I make lists and I check them off on paper. I don't use my phone and I put like a Sharpie line through. So when we're packing for a vacation, my wife and I are doing that right now. We have a list and I'm going to check things off and like look at the suitcase. And I do that every time we go camping or hiking because it's, you know, or if you have any camping or hiking fans here, you, you need the essentials. You can't, you would be a dummy to go anywhere without the essentials for survival, right? Whether it be like some sort of water source, um, like a fire starter, and some sort of navigation device. Let's just say that those are the, the top three things that you must have on you before going on a wilderness trek. I would never, ever leave home without one of those things. But I think I'm definitely guilty of making big life decisions without getting on my knees first. Like, I do the homework with where the place is. Like, what kind of footwear do I need when we go to, you know, Acadia National Park? And how dangerous is it going to be? And, and what kind of bug spray even do I need that's effective against the mosquitoes? I'll do all this homework for these stupid, trivial things. But then I can ponder and ponder and ponder our next home, our, my, my next, uh, you know, big step, how we're going to raise our child, and, and just be okay with not getting on my knees and praying. I will traverse these huge life decisions and not lean on prayer as if it were like the water. I wouldn't even walk up a mountain without tying my shoes or having the Nalgene in the backpack. But I can really go places without praying first. I kind of think about it as us as movers, as one of our, one of our dangers or our pitfalls. It's like we're going on the wilderness hike in life and all we pack with us is a flare gun for emergency's sake. We don't bring water, no matches, no knife, no like sub-zero temperature sleeping bag, just a flare gun. So we were walking around, we're like, uh-oh, I'm lost, and when emergency happens. And so we create our plans. So I'm going to go to this school, I'm going to graduate by this year, and then by February of senior year, I'm going to have a job lined up, and you bomb the interview, and God help me. Or you're like, oh my God, I knew... I. My mom said that I was going to get married at 25, and I'm 25 and a half. Like, we freak out about it. Or you move to a different city or a different church or a different friend group, and you're, like, freaking out, and you don't know what's happening. You're working, working, working to present yourself and to do all the right things to make friends, but it's just not happening, and gun goes off. That's when we pray. In case of emergency, we whip it out. Those are the prayers that we lift up. But what if prayer weren't a flare gun? But what if it were essential to our survival and self-safety and well-being, like water? What if Moses gave us an example this morning in this awesome text? I love Moses in this moment that we would embody and take upon ourselves. What if praying, Lord, if you will not go with me, I'm not going anywhere. What if that prayer would be like our research before we do something dangerous or filling our water bottles before we go on a hike? How would that transform our movership, if you will? I seriously wonder if if this group of people, of young people on the go, if our anxieties would start to lower. Like, you know, everyone's talking about, oh, Gen Z, most anxious group ever, right in the heels of the millennials. That's what we are. I wonder how much that would lower 
How much safer, more confident, assured, and comfortable we would feel in this journey of life. That is difficult, by the way. No one's making light of that. I wonder how we would feel about our next city, our next job, our next relationship, our next family member, our next serious and major and important life decisions if we all prayed first, prayed more, God be with me. I'm not doing anything without you. And here's the best part. When we pray like this, God listens. And it's repeated a couple times in this passage because he knows you by name and because you have found the favor of the creator of all the universe. Look at God's response to Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Not only do we need to be praying for God, be with me, but we need to pray that often. Look at how he responds. God immediately changes his mind and says yes to Moses' prayer. I will do exactly what you ask of Moses. And this isn't because like, God just listens to everything that we demand of him, right? Like a couple weeks ago, Pastor Bill uh, said, you know, prayer is not a spiritual vending machine. You hear D7 and the Milky Way, like, I don't know why I say Milky Way. Milky Ways are terrible. Twix, better candy bar. It doesn't work that way. Prayer doesn't work that way. The reason why God immediately answers Moses' prayer is because it's in line with his character. Moses prays knowing who Yahweh is, and Yahweh will be Yahweh. He's in completely line with his goodness, his mercy, that he's compassionate, that he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness and sin from generation to generation. That's who he is. So he decides, yes, I will go with this stiff-necked people because even though they just created this golden donkey, even though they turned their back on me, they found favor in my sight. And I know them by name. They are mine. Just as God knows Moses by name and gives him favor, he does to every single one of you. And the reason is because of Jesus. The reason is because of the cross that many of us wear as jewelry on our bodies or have in our cars or our homes or have decorated our spaces. Because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth as flesh and incarnate, as fully man and fully God, to live and die. And he died in the place of sinners. That golden calf sin was paid on the cross. Your sins and mine were paid for on the cross. And then three days later, just as he promised, God raised Jesus from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And right now, he intercedes on behalf of all of us at the throne in heaven. And he's reigning there. And because of that work, anyone who puts their faith in Christ, who believes, confesses, and gives their lives over to him, can now fully have the favor of God. And he knows you by name, and you are his child. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See, What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See, this is your testimony if you are in Christ. And if you are, then let's emulate Moses' prayer. Let's copy him. Let's look up to him and say, God, be with me. I'm not going anywhere without you. And if you've never crossed a line of faith, you're still considering or wondering or questioning or doubting, 
You can use this prayer too to cross that line of faith. You can ask God to be with you and to give you favor as you confess, as you believe, as you give your life to him. All of us can pray, do not send me anywhere if it is not with your presence. So movers, what are you pursuing in your heart right now? Is it marriage or a better one? Is it money? A salary, not just for yourself. Oh, Pastor Danny, it's not because I'm greedy. It's because I want to pay for my parents to retire, even good things like that. Or, you know, they've had this, you know, store, this business in the city for all their lives, working seven days a week. I want to make them just not have to do that anymore. That's like 90% of us here. Is it, I'm in the middle of this degree, and if I don't get into that grad school, like what is all these three, four years in college for? What is your heart just latched onto? I want to invite you to open your hands up to to God. The God who has given you favor, the God who literally knows each and every one of you by name, and to say, God, be with me above all else. Regardless of what your heart is pursuing, friends, let's pray this prayer together as godly movers. Let's pray for God to be with us above all else. So let's bow our heads and we'll do that now. Before I pray, um, I would love to invite every single one of us to lift up this prayer. And so um, I'll invite the, the worship team to come up and prepare. And while they do, everybody else in this room or at home, um, let's just be real with God and just think about that thing. What's on your heart right now? What's the number one goal? What's the, what's the thing that your heart is just completely latched onto? Where are you going? Where are you moving? Maybe, you know, I kept using the whole job and school and money and relationship, you know, analogies just because it probably hits all of us to a certain extent. But maybe it's none of those things, but you know. Whatever you're working hard towards, let's just pray for God to be with us. Let's thank him that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of the power of his blood, that we have his favor, that he knows us by name. And let's pray, God, be with me. God, I don't want to take another class. I don't want to go into another shift at work. I don't want to make another future plan if you are not with me. And what all of us can rejoice in is that he's going to answer that prayer. Because that's who he is. He's a God who gives favor and his presence, his love and his care to each and every one of his children. So let's pray that together. Let's open up our hearts to him. And then we'll um, just respond and sing a couple more songs. blessed and we are a blessed people because that we have you um, in our lives there's nothing that could 
fully satisfy our hearts or give us joy or meaning or purpose or delight. Like knowing that we are yours. Knowing that we have been called your own. Knowing that we have your favor and that you know each and every one of us by name. So Father, I pray that you remind us of your everlasting presence. I pray that you lead us to a continual prayer of asking for you to be right here beside us, with us, in us, among us. And I pray that you just calm and push out all the fear, the doubt, and the insecurities that we wrestle with. For you know us and everything about us from the hairs on our head to the thoughts that swirl about and that lay heavy on our souls. And you promise that you always do what is for your glory and for the good of your children. Many of us are in this mover ship and we don't like it. It's hard. It's hard to constantly be working for the next thing or to have questions that it seems like years and years before we receive answers. It's hard to put in so many hours that are unseen at the library or in our office or in our homes, working and striving constantly. And so I ask for a spirit of encouragement inside each and every one of your children whom you love that they will be reminded of this great truth that you are always with us. And I pray that before we do another step forward in our pursuits, that this would be the instinctual prayer of our hearts, God be with me, and that we would delight in the truth that you answer and respond. I will do the very thing that you ask. So we give you thanks and praise for being so good to us we give you thanks and praise that everywhere we go, we know that it is with your presence. We rejoice in everything that you are. And we give you the highest praise for you alone deserve it all. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.